listening to the CIPD podcast series. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Now, unless you've been living on the moon, you'll know about the youth unemployment problem. Here in the UK, almost 23% of 16 to 24-year-olds are currently out of work. The press has labelled them the lost generation. And while that may be a touch melodramatic, the core problem is a very real one. Last year, in response, the government published the Youth Contract, a package of ideas designed to tackle short-term youth unemployment. But there are bigger and more structural workforce problems hampering young people's progression in the working world. And according to the CIPD, it's not just government and the education system who should take the lead on making changes, but employers as well. Now, to discuss what employers could or indeed should be doing to play their part in boosting work opportunities for young people, I'm joined by the CIPD's own expert in the field, Katerina Rudiger. We also have with us Jane Daly, who's Head of Learning and Development for Marks and Spencer's 14 Head Office Business Units, and Liz Eddy, who's Head of Skills for NHS Employers, and a firm believer that young people should be seen as the lifeblood of any organisation. Now, Catherine, should we kick off by looking at the data first? We've got unemployment in Europe. It's ranging from about 9% in the Netherlands to 50% in Spain, Greece, Portugal. UK is about in the middle of the range. But these are exceptional times, aren't they? We're, we're towards the end, at the end of a very severe economic cycle. How worried should we be? Um, yes, Philippa, I think what you said earlier in your introduction, that there are some structural reasons for um, youth unemployment continuing being so high um, is the issue we need to be concerned with. So while it is obviously important to focus on short-term issues, we need to look at the underlying reasons. And one of the reasons we've explored within our Learning to Work program over the past um, year or so is really employer behaviour. And we've seen that employer behaviour is really, really crucial in terms of managing education to work transitions. And what we've seen is that employers are often reluctant to employ a young person, in particular if they're between the age of 16 and 18. And I think generally what we see as well is that employers prefer to recruit somebody with experience who can, you know, to use the expression, hit the ground running. Um, and that's something that really disadvantages young people in the labour market because they obviously don't really have that experience. So we've got two issues just to kick off. We've got a lack of employable work-ready candidates and a, a certain reluctance among a lot of employers to take on young people when they could take on someone older, more experienced, more work-ready. Exactly, that's right. Now, Jane, I know M&S targets youngsters. Why do you do that? From an M&S perspective, young people are very important to our organisation. They're customers, for a start. But the most important thing is they really do bring, as Katerina said, a sustainable approach to our workforce planning. They are going to be our workforce of the future. So it's a commercial imperative for you? Absolutely. I mean, I take the point, that, you know, that you're you're starting off a talent pipeline with young people. And indeed, of course, young people are cheaper to employ. But they do lack skills, they lack experience. So there's a cost attached to this, isn't there? There is a cost. I mean, there's a cost to any new employee, um, anybody new that we employ. But from a young person's perspective, they often need more support and something like a buddy or a mentor when they get going. And that's something that we do very well at M&S so that we offer experience for these people, but with support, so it doesn't affect our customers and our business. Liz, I mean, obviously the NHS is a massive employer. Um, 
But the job market has structurally changed in recent decades, hasn't it? We've got a lot more student school leavers going off to university. Vocational education has been in decline. I'm guessing that for you at the NHS, there's, there's the technological advance angle as well, that a lot of entry-level jobs that might traditionally be done by 16, 17-year-olds are now being done by tech. Um, I think that's the case in all industries. However, the N- in the NHS, um, we, in the last 12 months, have recruited over 8,000 apprenticeships. And of that number, over 2,500 were under the age of 24. And what's the thinking behind that? Why are you doing it? Because they are the future of our workforce and your local hospital, your local clinic need, is providing care to the local community. And what's really important is that we have people who are reflective of that local community, providing care to their community. And, you know, it's about sustainable employment as well. You know, we want decent uh, work to travel distances. Um, so I think there are wider arguments, you know, um, for people to be able to get to work easily. And, you know, it's a public health agenda in a broader sense that um, there is a direct link with somebody's employment and their own personal health. And that's of interest to us as the NHS overall, NHS PLC, that we are looking after the health and well-being of the local community. And employment is an absolutely critical factor in that. So there's a whole array of essentially business orientated reasons why you would do this yes and we recently uh the university of warwick um did some research to look at the return on investment for apprenticeships in the hell in the nhs and they concluded that after 18 to 24 months that they deliver on the investment that an, an employer has made now i challenge anybody else to demonstrate that a piece of learning is as effective as that Um, So it's really, really critical. And the National Apprenticeship Service, NAS, also has data that demonstrates that they very quickly deliver return on investment and deliver for the business. I suppose the anxiety for a lot of employers is around retention, isn't it? You take these people on, you Mm. invest, you train, you equip them to go and get a a job somewhere else. Yeah, I think... For us in the NHS, that can be a frustration for local people, but we're so big that we do see it that we are um, employing and training people for healthcare in the NHS. So it is considered culturally acceptable that if you go move to work in another hospital, that somebody would think, well, I will gain from someone else. So we are training for the best patient care and we want the best people. I mean, clearly for the NHS, you've got the advantage of this huge national network. I mean, Katerina, what do you think? Do those arguments stand up for employers in other sectors? Yes, yeah, so I think we have two really good examples here for employers starting to think about bringing in more young people. In fact, we've done some um, research on this a few months ago and what came out very clearly that there is a clear business case for employers to invest in young people because of the reasons Liz and Jane named. So, you know, it's building your talent pipeline, it's bringing in new skills, and it's it's also about your employer brand as Liz said about engaging with your community and there's an element of cost effectiveness as well we talked about the need for investment but if you think about it in terms of investing now rather than paying later so if you don't invest in growing your own workforce now you have to buy in the skills later and quite often we know 
that, that buying in skills means that you get pay, people are trained within other organizations and maybe don't do the things you want them to do in your way. So I think there are all sorts of business reasons why organizations need to engage with young people. What we've seen, though, is even if employers do have that commitment, it's actually sometimes quite tricky. And line managers can be a barrier. I think um, both, both Jane and Liz always talk to me about that. So I think organizations need to invest in support and guidance for line managers how to recruit young yeah. people. This is a big point, isn't it? I wanted to, well, actually, both of you, but Jane, yes. I mean, how do you tackle that at M&S? Because the issue of managing people who have never worked anywhere before, it's a whole other skill set, isn't it? Frankly, it can seem like a bit of a pain if you're a busy line manager already overstretched. And just that sense of, not so much of do young people have the skills to be in the workplace, but do employers have the skills to actually put them to work? Absolutely. I mean, for us, we take line management very seriously from a people perspective. Um, you know, we're very proud of that in M&S. And I think, you know, people will tell you of anybody that's worked at M&S once you've been there, you know, you are absolutely measured on your performance from your people skills as a line manager. But that doesn't go without supporting line managers. And we continually have to do that. We continue have to support people to look at the balance of their workload to make sure that people are always on the agenda, but on the top of the line manager's agenda and not on the bottom of the line manager's agenda. It really comes down to making sure that they're in their top three priorities. For us, we have a fantastic um, academy approach to learning across our business, our global business, where all line managers are inducted in our people practices so we can get some consistency to that. But equally, we don't sheep dip people. Everybody needs to be um, considered differently and line managers need experience with that. When it comes to a young person, that is often more. And what we have to do is really get people talking. We need to understand from young people what it's like when they're new to the business and what they need. And then we need to also hear from the managers and to think about, well, what, how else can we support them to do their job with this array and a mixture of people in their business? What we are finding in M&S is that baby boomers and Generation Yers are getting on really well. So let's buddy them up and, and utilise that. encouraging, isn't it? Absolutely, and utilise that relationship. Gen X and Gen Y, um, maybe there's a few more challenges there. But for us in M&S, it really is about having that open dialogue and, and listening to people. What managers are telling us about the younger workforce is they do seem to need more reassurance and feedback. And from a line manager's perspective, that's one of the least... Um, the, the skills they least like to use. So we are investing heavily in a coaching and mentoring sort of culture, fostering that within MS so we can really help them to help young people. The softer skills. Absolutely. But it, as I say, it isn't just young people. As we're investing in this, it helps everybody. But ultimately, the younger people in our business need more of that. Sounds like you're agreeing, Liz. I see you I nodding. I agree really strongly with all of that and in the NHS we really do take learning and development very seriously often called continuing professional development in our kind of lingo but it is really serious and I mean in England we employ about 1.3 million people and that's across about 450 organizations and it is the line manager that keeps that makes the day-to-day -day recruitment decisions. And it is something I do talk to Katerina about because HR kind of get it. They're, you know, the hearts and minds that we've got to win over are those people who make those recruitment decisions 
in the here and now. So the head of portering, the head of catering in a hospital, you know, who he is going, he or she is going to be making those decisions. And quite often they will have had advice from uh, an HR team, but they will probably be interviewing with an with a colleague from their department. So, for example, framing of questions, you know, people have started saying. The NHS can't employ 16-year-olds to work on wards to look after patients. Well, why not? We want in the NHS the best people who can provide the best care with the right values and attitudes. And somebody a bit older might not have the right attitude and values, but they might come with a bit of experience. See, that's interesting, because that brings me to a point I wanted to ask you about, actually, and that is access routes. We've been talking about young people as kind of generic clump of people but obviously all employers are going to want the right young person Mm. for their roles let's talk a bit about how we actually reach out to these young people I mean from our perspective we have a massive issue with this in the fact that um, the perception around retail is that we're low paid low skilled and we're often reaching out to people when it's too late they're often 14 and above And, you know, when you talk to people that are in retail, like myself, it's very rare to grow up and when you are 10 and 14 and say, I absolutely have to work in retail. So we have to change those perceptions. So for us, the way that we're going about that, and we have got so much more to do, is to build bridges between young people themselves through social media channels, but also with um, schools, with education, and also with other organisations that are working with young people from all sorts of different ranges to make sure that we really do reach out and have what we call in retail a multi-channeled approach to that. It's very important we build these relationships early and earlier than 14. Yeah, I think I completely agree with what you said, Jane. I think it's so important for employers to go into schools. We've seen this time and again in our research and other organisations' research because young people just don't know about the opportunities that are out there and then they find it very, very difficult to apply for jobs when they enter the labour market because they don't really know where to apply and how to. And I think it's really important to go into schools to highlight opportunities, but it's also important to highlight um, employer expectations to young people. So what we've seen in our research, and Liz mentioned um, the report coming out earlier. Um, we've called the report employers are from Mars, young people are from Venus. Now that's sort of a bit tongue-in-cheek, but really uh, it's kind of reflecting our findings about employer expectations and young people's understanding of those expectations. And the so mismatch what, between the two. Exactly. What we found is that young people don't really know what employers expect of them. So a very practical example is kind of... Uh, interviews and applications young people don't often research the company they don't prepare very well because they don't know how competitive the process is and quite often you find an interview situation where the employer would start with a question like oh why do you want to work here what can you tell me about the organization well their thing is probably the easiest question is a nice introduction you know that's kind of a way to start the interview but for a young person that's the worst possible scenario because they don't really know why they want to work there quite often they haven't worked anywhere else they often don't really know much about the occupational sector so that's immediately puts them on the spot and on the defensive so you can see that it's kind of a mismatch of um, behavior and expectations. How do you deal with this Liz? Is this something that you've you've had thoughts about how you actually manage the expectations and, and, and help candidates present themselves in the best possible light? I think I'd just like to quote um, an example I've got from Northumbria Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust in a recent advert they've put out. They began their advert by saying, 
we value young people. Um, and then they back it up. There are no formal entry requirements for this position, which will lead to formal qualifications, full support and training will be provided, and successful candidates will need to demonstrate their motivation, willingness to work, a caring and compassionate nature, and an, abil an ability to work as part of a team. Now, that's really very new behaviour for us in the NHS, to start reframing the way that we... Um, advertise for posts and that's the beginning of the journey really which is about reaching out and speaking in a language that both Katerina and Jane have um, referenced really. And I know Katerina in your research you've come up with ideas around briefing candidates about literally kind of what the expectations are around what they should wear, mm. what will happen, what the process will mm. be that they'll come in, there'll be two people in the room and what the next bit will be if they get through the next round, all that sort of thing. I mean, these are things that all employers could do. Useful, do we think? Good they, thing? They are really useful. I mean, at MS, we have a couple of things going on. We have a retail ambassador programme. So people that, you know, we really see as sort of movers and shakers, it's part of our development programme for them. They work with their local communities and go in into schools, look at CVs, give them some interview experience just talk about what an interview is like often do a dummy interview as a role play that has worked really well for us I think the other thing is work experience itself and what we always do with our work experience is take people through what it is like in the interview if you like it here if you've really enjoyed this work experience which you know we want to be for it to be inspirational we always make sure that we include how you you know can go about impressing somebody at an interview and we are always shocked by the lack of skills that they have that, that really just frankly aren't happening in schools and education. Can I just throw one curveball into this conversation? I probably should mention it. Is that the, not all employers do agree with this, the preferential treatment idea for young applicants, do they? I mean, we've got organisations as big as ASDA and Gala Coral saying no, we, you know, we, our doors are open to applicants of all ages, genders, just what you'd expect. And we don't think young people get fair treatment, you know, or, or particular treatment. And so we're not going to go down the digital media route when we're advertising. We're going to advertise the way we always have done because there's the danger of unintentional discrimination. What do you think about that? Well, because older people, of course, are competing for these jobs now, aren't they? Well... I think a lot of this is about good recruitment. And in an ideal world, we have recruitment that is suitable for all candidates, be it men, women, young people, older workers, ethnic minorities, disabled people. So in an ideal world, you, you have really good recruitment that sort of considers all different needs. However, we live in the real world, and in the real world, that does not always happen. And I think what we've seen in our research is that young people struggle so much at the moment, that there is a sort of real business case for adapting recruitment practices. And sometimes it's also about moving into the 21st century, you know, Philippa, it's, you know, maybe we should be starting to use social media more generally, and maybe that's the way things are going. Regardless of what age group you're, exactly. you're thinking exactly. might respond to your ad. Having said this, obviously, we don't want to discriminate against people, and we wouldn't recommend um, doing that, of course. So, um, you know, again, when it comes to social media, you need to not just use social media. Right. You need to think about your different groups. That's that's obviously clear. Could I just add mm. that um, in the NHS, we're doing quite a lot of work with um, Job Centre Plus, and they are actually quite expert at their local labour markets and are can be a real source of support and resource to help around this whole agenda. 
Um, and I think I was quite struck by one of the comments in the report that Job Centre Plus colleagues are actually saying we do need to do something that kind of encourages and speaks to younger people. Um, quite a significant response factor on that. So I think it's about being inclusive, and I think you can do that. But I think, you know, you can't expect a young person to be able to talk about competency and previous experience because they ha how can they have it? Um, so... I think it's really about common sense. It's about looking at your whole workforce plan and really seeing where you're going to get your talent from. Perhaps just closing on one final point because we're tight for time, but the importance of feedback. It's obviously something that all young candidates hope to get, often don't get it quite understandably because of the sheer volume of applications. I know you've come up with this thought about lists of generic reasons that you might send out to, to applicants who weren't successful a list of reasons why they might not have been. Do we think that's a good way forward? Something any employer could do, isn't it? I think, yeah, the point around feedback, it's really heartbreaking. When you talk to young people, that's the number one thing they've mentioned to us. As you know, Philippa, we have a mentoring program where we match our members, HR professionals, with young job seekers. And we've done some focus group with um, those young people. And really, time and again, they've said to us, oh, if you could just ask employers to do one thing is to provide feedback. Now, we know it's difficult, and we know it's difficult when you get thousands of applications, but I think anyone can just, you know, invest some time there and really make a difference. And those generic lists, better than nothing. I think, you know, I mean, taking into the account, you can imagine the, the volumes at M&S, I think that, you know, from our perspective, there are two things. Yes, I, I agree, and a generic list would be better than nothing. But I also think we need to educate people that they could ask for feedback in the interview itself. And we shouldn't forget that. Absolutely. And we really are encouraging our young people that we're working with through various, various sources to do that. But equally, um, it depends what route people come into MS at. But we do have feedback for um, areas such as graduates, A-level students and people that are school leavers. So I think from our perspective, you know, we, we do agree that, that something's better than nothing, but it is very difficult. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you all very much indeed. I'm sure this is one we'll return to. Thanks again, Katerina Rudiger, Jane Daly and Liz Eddy. Next month, we'll be discussing the 10 tenets of entrepreneurial practice and also how female entrepreneurs are driving growth. Join me then. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series. <laughs>